Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Sit down if you need. The hits just keep on coming. It's voices up close. Here is your host, Mike Benson. The sounds of sports from their mouth to your ears. All right, we're hanging around together, having a great time. Voices Up Close available on demand 24-7. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. We bring you headliners in their field. And today, back to the football booth and hoops at Press Row with a Pacific Northwest flavor. He had a challenge. Replace a household name. Previously with one team, fan base, and program for years. It's a long time to make a connection and introduce a new face, but heading into year three soon, Tony Castrico will keep building on what he's called a dream job as voice of the Washington Huskies. We'll learn about his cycle of preparation, life philosophy, even his life as an aspiring songwriter and what he's made with a guitar. Castrocone got his start after graduating from Ohio University, and he had a pretty nice sportscasting gig at a local radio station, then lost his position. From there, he embarked on a soul-searching journey visiting 40 states, at times with a guitar in hand, where he played at local establishments. And from there, his work picked up, eventually into a role as voice of the Clemson Tigers, then the Huskies, taking over for legendary Bob Rondo, who was behind the mic for 37 years. Catracone's outdoor office is what's referred to as the greatest setting, storied Husky Stadium. In the winter, he's at press row for Huskies men's hoops and already has voiced the soundtrack to amazing moments. The pandemic put his work on pause, and it gets trickier admittedly when you may ask, when's his next game? The Pac-12 announced just several days ago all sports postponed until the end of 2020. And for a man who's emerged resiliently from one test in his career, he now waits until we're all brought back to celebrate the return of the Huskies, fans or no fans, out of the gates. His resonant pipes will certainly be a welcomed return. Well, from Tigers to Huskies, he's seen excitement fall like it's raining cats and dogs. Here's what it sounded like. There's a hole! Gaskin into the open field across the 50. Miles Gaskin inside the 20-yard line. Left sideline. Miles Gaskin is rammed down at the pylon. Two arms up. Touchdown, Washington. 80 yards. Miles Gaskin to the house. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. You keep pounding away and pounding away and pounding away. And it's on the clock. Here he goes against Alkins with four to play. Makes a move to the rim. Rejected by Aiden. Green for three. Oh! He hit it. The ball ended up in the hands of Green. He put up a three from the right wing. He swishes it at the buzzer. And the Huskies beat number nine, Arizona. 78 to 75. The magical season continues. Kennard at the top of the key to Ingram at the right point. Blanketed by Blossom game. Spins against JB. Rejected on the layup attempt by Noko. Flips it out of break three on two. Holmes attacks the glass. Missed it. Roper cleans it up right to the rim. Flips it by seven against the defending national champions. It comes down to this. Huskies have three safeties in the end zone right now. 34-yard line of Washington. Four-point lead for the Dogs, final play of the game. Snap to Costello, he's back to pass. Steps up in the pocket from the 40-yard line. Throws toward the end zone. Ball is intercepted. Huskies win the game. Taylor Rapp with the game-clinching interception. And the Dogs beat Stanford 27-23. <laughs> finishing his second year as voice of the Washington Huskies. What a pleasure. 
What a thrill. Tony Castricone joining us now on Voices Up Close. Tony, thrilled to hear from you, my friend. Very simple. How are you holding up? Uh, pretty good, Mike. Uh, how about you? As much as we can say one day at a time right now. What do you yeah, say? It's, a, it's totally one day at a time. Uh, my wife and I talked about that one day at a time. And, you know, I mean, it's it's been a weird 2020 for everybody. So, you know, certainly don't want to act like, uh, you know, the Castricone household is uh, uniquely burdened in any way, shape or form. But, you know, it has been hard with the, you know, there was there was a three month furlough that was involved right after COVID. And now the recent announcement that uh, PAC 12 has suspended all fall sports, um, you know, and, and the logistics of whether or not a spring football season is doable. I, I think it's an uncertain time for everybody, but uh, I think in the midst of uncertainty, that's when you have to go back to some bedrock principles and uh, things that you want to live your life by. And, and I think, um, uh, each day has enough trouble of its own, right? Uh, so it's it's one day at a time for all of us. And um, I think building a, a sense of community and, and, and having a, a chance to talk to other like-minded people and, and people who are in similar industries, similar situations is awesome. And so it's been great to connect with you and, and figure out how we're all getting through this. It's funny that 2020 uh, is a phrase that uh, is associated with clear vision, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and, and um, you know, in, in some ways you can see some things pretty clearly now, and, and in other ways things are more confusing than ever. So um, it's, it's a very interesting time. But um, I think when you look at, at the sports world and, and my world in particular, college sports, and, and I'd love to hear from you some on on the, on the minor league hockey front, but, um, there's a lot of people, you know, it, everybody who works in sports, it's, it's a small world, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a small industry. You get to know the other play by play guys, you get to know the other PR people and then the athletes themselves and the coaches and everything. And it's hard on everybody right now. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a, an actual disruption to the way that we live our lives and, and make our income. And so, um, it has been really hard for everybody, but I know it, you're, you're torn between this difficult situation where you absolutely want everybody to be as safe as possible, and yet also you understand what it stakes for all the all the seniors that might miss out on their last year of competition. The the people, you know, I, I think there's uh, when you talk about sports industry and particularly in college sports, there's this perception. Um, that may not be entirely rooted in reality that uh, a, a lot of people are, are getting rich uh, mm. off of college sports. I'd say the vast majority of people who work in college sports are doing it because of their love of the game yeah. <laughs> and because mm. they want to be involved. And there are ADs and head coaches and people who are tremendous mentors to the student athletes and, and who are great students for their programs and they are compensated very, very well. But I'd say like, you know, a, a lot of the people that I know that have been affected, um, they weren't storing up big, you know, savings uh, working in this industry. They're doing it because they love it and the disruption has hurt them and it's a hard time for everybody. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, in the college sports world, we just, we, we want everybody to be safe, certainly. Um, and yet we want everybody to, to be able to participate in the things that they love. And, and I'm sure it's a lot the same in minor league hockey as well. Absolutely. And when we can come out of this pandemic, it will be year three of what you called a dream job. What gift has working with the Huskies given you and family? Well, um, 
first, you know, I, I think, gosh, that's a hard thing to, to answer succinctly. Um, I just always wanted to do this. And, and from the time that I was, um, you know, getting cut from my high school basketball team because I wasn't good enough to play, I knew that if I wanted to be around this stuff, uh, it was going to have to be in some other different capacity. And uh, I always knew that it was going to be journalism of some sort. I did some newspaper stuff, did some some DJing. I did a little bit of TV and all this stuff. But but for me, there was just nothing like putting on a headset and, and hearing the crowd noise. And, and I'm sure for you, hearing the skate slice through the ice and the smack of the stick on the puck and the way it pinks off the, off the crossbar and all that stuff. And I mean, when you do that, when you, when you wear that headset and then you get to be kind of the finishing touch on that overall soundtrack and, and, and just pour your heart and soul and your passion into it. I just, it's, it's somewhat euphoric. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's just an absolute, uh, pleasure and thrill. And so there, there's that selfish part of it where I just absolutely love doing what I do, but then no one wants to do what they love to do in complete isolation. You want to share that with people. Yeah. And so getting an opportunity to, to be invited into the Husky family and to do it for an, a fantastic athletic department with great leadership, great coaches, great student athletes, and then a tremendous fan base. Uh, and, and to get to share that, with you know seventy thousand people in Husky Stadium on a on a on a full Saturday, and then to be able to get to make a living doing it, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is uh, something that I aimed at, aimed toward for two decades. Uh, we want college sports to come back um, so that we can continue with it. But at the same time, I always try to take this approach every broadcast, every day. Um, tomorrow's not a given. And if I only got to do this for two years, if I only, you know, got to live life for, for 38 years, um, man, it's, I, I can look back and say, it's been awesome. It's been, it's been awesome. And so, um, I certainly want a heck of a lot more of it. There's no question about that. But at the same time, um, I, I look just, I look at myself as completely, utterly blessed to have this opportunity and, and eternally grateful to those who have who have uh, offered it to me, I know a pandemic brings so much uncertainty. And ever since March, what's been the most consistent thing you've enjoyed that gets you through? Well, it, it has brought the the pandemic has brought a lot of disruptions, but it's also brought uh, the creation of some new habits um, on top of it, which. Uh, one of them for for my wife and I has been that we um, now that we don't have to run out the door in the morning, we take the time to meet every morning. We talk a little bit about um, you know what it is that our priorities are for the day, yeah. what it is that we need to do, what it is that we've maybe been putting off that we need to do, and we sync up on those things and we we take some time to to read a little bit and pray a little bit. And, um, I know that that has had exponential benefits for our relationship. And, um, you know, I think, uh, anybody who is married knows that, um, you go into it thinking this is going to complete me. This is everything I ever wanted. Then you get into it and you realize that this is harder than I realized. Everybody says it's hard. And the journey begins. 
the journey has begun, right? And so, um, yeah, that has been really awesome. And I think, you know, uh, I, I think just taking the time to, to try to be a little bit more thoughtful with what I want to do every day now that there is breathing room because um, there, there is more time uh, available to me in a given 24 hours, more time to read, more more time to journal, more time to, to, to really think about things and, and check in with other people, um, make phone calls, make sure other people are doing okay. Those are some of the, the silver linings that this, you know, devastating situation has, has, has brought into my life in particular. And, and hopefully those things are available to, to, you know, others. Um, I, you know, I, I went through a really hard thing about 10 years ago that in some ways prepared me for this. Hmm. And that I was laid off from a job that uh, that I really, really loved. I was working in local radio in Columbus, Ohio, which is my hometown. And it, I, I was not getting rich doing it. It was one of those local radio jobs, but I freaking loved it, man. I mean, it was just, you know, it was kind of my identity and everything. And, um, you know, I, I just, I was, I was so thoroughly enjoying doing that job. And I got laid off from that job. Um, pretty blindsided by the decision when it happened. And, and so, um, you know, I, I took that next summer to travel the United States. I cashed out what little I had in my 401k at the time. And I traveled the U S and I, I saw 40 States and I spent mm -hmm. some time with some friends and I contemplated what my next move was going to be. And I realized that, um, through any heartbreaking loss that anybody suffers in life, um, yes, it's true that it's tragic that you've lost that, but you've also now gained freedom from the responsibility that tied you to that thing that you loved. And so with that freedom, there's now a new opportunity to go out and invest that freedom towards something new and good. And so, um, I, I learned that lesson the hard way in 2010, that is constantly on my mind here in 2020 and you know hopefully college sports does come back and hopefully um you know we don't end up on the sidelines for too awfully long but um if we do lose uh temporarily the jobs that we love and we have all this new found free time it is a new opportunity to invest that free time uh towards something that uh hopefully will will pay greater dividends uh later on in your life and will be silver lining and and really will end up being a blessing that it happened uh at all your testimony as far as traveling 40 states during a very uncertain time like that 10 years ago we'll get into that more you've also dabbed in songwriting i can't wait to discuss more of that with you First, this was on my mind, when you can summarize your best day on the job. Behind the mic for the Huskies, when's the last time you dreamed of when that first crisp day will feel like when there's football again at Husky Stadium? Yeah, I'm just so curious. Like, I'm so curious what it'll look like. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't feel like I have any expectations for I know how it'll feel. I know it'll be with fans. I know it'll be uh, under, you know, a circumstance that I've experienced before part of me wonders if it might not be a lot different when it mm -hmm. comes back. And, you know, maybe it is an empty stadium and maybe, maybe the booth has way fewer people in it than, than I'm used to. And then I like, and, um, I don't know how all that'll feel. So I, I haven't really gotten too caught up in, in dreaming for when that comes back and exactly what that'll feel like. It's a little bit more of, uh, 
trying to set my expectations not too high mm. and and just continuing to have that one day at a time mindset because I, I think that's pretty much all, all I really can have right now. Give me one broadcaster any era you'd love to sit down over dinner with. <laughs> well, um, I grew up on Keith Jackson and Brent Musburger and, and those guys just – their, their their ability to um, make you feel the game through the television to me was 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 awesome. Marty Brenneman was the voice of the Cincinnati Reds for 46 years. He just retired very recently, and and I grew up listening to him on WLW out of Cincinnati. But the guy that is out there right now that I just love, and I really love, is Gus Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I just think that his passion. Um, is it, it, it's palpable and it's the same sort of deal that I have where it's like, you know, I keep telling myself, okay, this is just a game. Don't hyperventilate, calm down, you know, just enjoy, enjoy the call, but don't get, don't get so crazy that your voice cracks and you lose all excitement and everything else. And then I'm in it and I just can't help it. <laughs> just it's just the way that it is and i feel like gus johnson see what the, what it is is i'm seven year old tony in a in a 37 year old body and and i feel like that's gus johnson right like gus johnson is just is you, you just feel his joy in what he's doing and that's what to me all this stuff is really about i mean um i I've got appreciation for the super polished Vin Scully's and Bob Costas and the Dick Enbergs and the, you know, the guys that, that we grew up watching that are just, um, they're, they're, they're freestyling poets. Uh, they're, they're unbelievable. But what, what makes me feel alive is Gus Johnson. And I just can't even help but broadcast that way, even against my own intentions to try to rein that in. I can't help but broadcast that way. And um, that's why I, I just, when I watch Gus and Joel Klatt do a big college football game, Red River rivalry, Ohio State, Michigan, whatever it is that, that their assignment is for the week, I just think it's awesome. The show. The show brings the best calls of Tony Castricone. We have five of these here to wade through. First off, from the greatest setting, Washington 28. USC 14. Split tight end, split wide outs in a bunch formation. Right hash mark five yard line. Huskies trying to score again. Snap to Eason, handoff Ahmed. See parts, Ahmed gets bumped. Falls forward, ball loose in the end zone. Andre Bocelli falls on it. I think it's a touchdown for the dogs. Waiting for a signal, two arms up. Huskies get a fumble recovery in the end zone and lead 13 to nothing. This uh, didn't happen too long ago, Tony. It was a, a great win for the Huskies. What do you recall about that day and what uh, Husky Stadium sounded like? Oh, I, I, I really love that game because, um, you know, a, a couple of reasons. Actually, my, my sister and my uh, brother-in-law and their two-year-old, they were in town from Ohio, and we got them tickets to the game. It was his first college football game. But also, uh, it was two teams, and it's just a tradition rivalry with um washington and usc and you think about all those great games they played in the don james era and all the way back and um you know washington really just just throttled them i mean it had a fantastic game uh the defense swarmed three interceptions on the day 
and uh, Savan Ahmed had the big 89-yard touchdown run that that was the I, I think the nail in the coffin. So uh, it, it was a great game. It was a great game. It, I, I think every day that you get a chance to do a game at the greatest setting in college football is a blessing. But uh, that one was particularly sweet. Duarte being physical with Sahonis away from the ball. The fans wanted a foul call. Sahonis now has it with six on the shot clock. Goes to work from behind the left. Steps into a left point three. Banked it in. It's open on Saturday. Huskies by a dozen. 27-15. This next one, Huskies hoops going to the limit against eighth-ranked Oregon. That game going into overtime. What did the building feel like that night? Oh, man. Uh, well, it, it was... Gosh, it was one of my favorite games, uh, despite the fact that they lost, just because it felt like an NCAA tournament game. I mean, the intensity was remarkable. Um, and that's one of the great things about Alaska Airlines Arena is I, I think there's colleges that have these NCAA-style arenas um, that are hard to fill up. Alaska Airlines Arena, you can you can have that thing overflowing at 10,000 and um, – and, you know, I, I think one of the things that I love about college sports, one of the reasons that I've always dreamed of working in college sports more so even than pro is that I just love rivalries. Rivalries are fantastic. And Washington, Oregon is is uh, just a, a quintessential college rivalry. And, um, you know, it, unfortunately, that game didn't go the Huskies way in overtime. But uh, I remember the atmosphere and, and just the blow by blow it was a fantastic game here's one that did go your way from the last team that you worked for previously the clemson tigers pulling off a shocker against eighth ranked miami not too long ago comes off the screen drives left to the paint feeds right corner reed for a catch and shoot three air ball rebound avery holmes clemson on a break jordan roper straight to the rim lays it up and in it is deafening in here 13-0 run for the Tigers. Yeah, that game against uh, that game against Miami um, was maybe one of my favorite games I've ever called uh, outside of Washington. Um, that game was on the heels of an upset of Duke, and the uh, and the uh, the Tigers had beat the defending national champions on Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. That were ranked fifth in the country, I think, something like that. And then they turn around on Saturday and they beat eighth, eighth ranked Miami. And so um, it was one of those feelings early in the ACC season, which is just a grind. I mean, ACC hoops is an absolute grind. And I had a lot of fun in the three years I worked there. Um, but it was one of those feelings early in the season like, whoa, this team. They're on to something here. They beat Louisville, they beat Duke, and they beat Miami back to back to back. So um, it was a it was a historic win for uh, Clemson basketball, but it was a game where um, you, you kind of felt the arena shaking as as they were making their run to take the lead, and uh, absolutely loved it. Thirty five feet from the basket, Roper needs to make move with six and five. Steps into a right point three, got it. Jordan Roper, first three pointer. 60-55, Clemson to the lead by five. Here's Kennard at the top of the key to Ingram at the right point. Blanketed by Blossom game. Spins against JB. Rejected on the layup attempt by Noko. Clemson on a break, three on two. Holmes attacks the glass, missed it. Roper cleans it up right to the rim. Clemson by seven against the defending national champions. Next one, the Tigers over to the defending national champions. Ninth-ranked Duke and Grayson Allen in the house. Down go the Blue Devils. How did that night compare? 
uh, yeah, so that was right before the Miami game. And um, I think the whole time, and, and one of the things I kind of regret, actually, because this is maybe my second year at Clemson, so I'm still, I'm still really getting used to calling some of these bigger games. And all I'm thinking in my mind is, like, we've got a chance to beat the defending national champ. Don't, don't blow the call. And unfortunately, uh, when you're thinking don't blow it, the most likely thing you are to do is blow it, right? <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's just one of those one of those axioms of broadcasting is that you have to you have to do it with a clear head. And um, one of the things that I wish is that I kind of got out of the way a little bit more in the final four minutes there as they pulled off that upset. But it was thrilling, and um, it, it was an awesome, awesome game. And, and really, I, I, I do I do think that doing Three seasons of ACC basketball was cool because that one was a home game, but also getting to do games at Cameron Indoor and at the Dean Dome and so many of those other places, uh, the Carrier Dome at Syracuse, uh, just just really, really, it's a cool league to travel. Off goes back to Noel, works against Thornton, now kicks to Crisp, pump fake on the right wing, drives, throws over to Green, a right wing three, yes, Dominic Green, his third three of the game, he's got nine, the dogs lead by four, up the floor comes USC, intercepted Matisse Thibel, he soars in, and a windmill jam by Matisse is an exclamation point with 32.9. His fourth steal of the game, his 319th of his career, and the dogs lead by six on a highlight reel play by Matisse, the National Defensive Player of the Year. Last one here, game-clinching buckets with a Matisse, Thibel, steal, and dunk in March. How do you clear your head to prepare the way for a play like that? See, I think that one was where I was just kind of reacting. And <laughs> I, that, that was something that I really just loved because it was it, – it, Matisse is just such – A, he's an awesome human being, uh, a great kid. And then B, um, he was just so unique in his ability to defend the whole floor. Um, whenever he was out there defensively, uh, nobody on the other team could feel safe with the basketball because of his – ability to just terrorize the offense and for him to get that steal and that dunk and to for it to be the play where we knew okay we're advancing in a Pac-12 tournament and and to me like there are moments over the course of a college football season where a Heisman candidate he he will he will execute a play where you're like wow that's the Heisman play, as far as I'm concerned. You don't really think about that as much in basketball because the, the awards aren't as hyped as the Heisman Trophy is in football. But when Matisse made that interception and that dunk to send us on to the semifinals in the Pac-12 tournament, I was like, that is the play that won him the, the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. Like I knew at that point he was going to win that award, and he ended up winning that award. And... Um, I just absolutely love that play because uh, that was a really exciting moment. The word, word association. Tony Castricone is our guest here on Voices Up Close. Now time for our favorite fun game called Word Association from the work. We got names, we got places, we got more for you. First thing that comes to your head, let's go. Number one, Mike Hopkins. <laughs> Hilarious. Number two, Chris Peterson. Class. 
Number three, Bob Rondo. Legend. Number four, Keith Jackson. Man, also legend. The granddaddy of them all. Number five, Ken Griffey Jr. Favorite. Number six, Matisse Thibel. Electrifying. Number seven, Damon Heward. Mm, wine. <laughs> <laughs> red or white? <laughs> oh, red for sure. Oh, he's my kind of guy. <laughs> yep, me too. Number eight, Husky Stadium. Uh, the greatest. Number nine, Elise Woodward. Ooh, uh, excellent. Number 10, Miles Gaskin. Mm, tough. You know what? I'll tell a little story. Mm. Firefighter. That's what he told me he want, he would have done if he didn't play football. He wanted to be a firefighter, and he totally wears that chip on his shoulder. I think he would have been a phenomenal one, and uh, I like that about Miles. How much you appreciate athletes who just can't stop the whole surge of adrenaline thing for their lifestyle, and it goes from athletics all the way into basically just saving lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's he's got that whole mindset of he wants to help people, he wants to lead people, and uh, yeah, he's a super cool guy. Delighted. Again, Tony Castricona is our guest here on Voices Up Close, Voice of the Washington Huskies. You can find him on Twitter, at Castricone. We'll look forward to hearing from him whenever that next day finally comes and we can finally get on the other side of uh, this pandemic and come out of it. First off, uh, Tony, Mike Hopkins had a great podcast with you. Uh, I was kind of jealous watching it. You had the patio, you had beverages, you had conversation, but you mentioned research as a powerful tool for preparation in a broadcast. Once your assistant plugs in those numbers, the next important step for preparation is what? I've been doing play-by-play games for well over a decade, and I don't know that I have figured out the best way to prepare. Um, I'm constantly tweaking my methods. I'm trying to, to burn off the deadwood of the things that I do that waste time and don't work. I still feel like there are ways that I over-prepare um, for, for games that, that I need to do a little bit less of, and, and there are other areas where I under-prepare. So um, I think that what I, I think the best thing that I would like to do the next time I call a game is just have the big picture mm-hmm. absorbed kind of into my consciousness so that I could just like live that. And, and, and not worry so much about the minutia. How long do you find yourself on average preparing for one game for either sport? It's kind of, I've gotten that question before, and I, I kind of feel like the answer is it's a lifestyle. Mm. <laughs> it, you, you really don't turn it off. It's kind of something that's always on your mind. And I know that that's a little bit of a cop-out, but I can't honestly say that like I'm not, I can't honestly say that there's there's there aren't times where like something doesn't come into my mind and I'm I'm typing it down on my notepad in my iPhone. You know, um, I, I think it's kind of something that you're just always doing and always thinking about. Where have you often found the best stories in your career for a broadcast? Um, trying to have off the record conversations. Hmm. Uh, that's that's the best way to do it. And I think a lot of those when you're associated with a team like you or I. Um, I think they come from being on the road, uh, when you're on the bus or on the plane or in a hotel or around the, the, the training table, uh, or around 
you know, just breaking bread together. I think that's where the best stuff really comes out. And that's where I think the reading list, you and I mentioned this earlier, really comes into play because you're not just a guy with headphones on and behind the mic doing this and spouting off play-by-play like you're a vending machine. This is also a human relations business. Mm. So what prepared you to excel at this level when it comes to a relationship with, you know, great coaches like Mike Hopkins, even Chris Peterson and others uh, on the Huskies football and hoop side? I think what uh, was a challenge for me early on was just dealing with immense amount of self-consciousness. Mm. And, and I had to kind of get myself out of the way um, and, and realize that when I'm interacting with people, because I think it's easy to get intimidated. Yeah. You know, it's easy to get intimidated by people who are big names in the industry and, and they've made a career out of it. And it's really easy for me to walk up early in my career and be like, I don't belong here. What am I doing? Here? Like, I'm totally I'm totally just this ordinary guy who grew up on a 46 acre farm in Centerburg, Ohio. I've got no business, you know, calling this game. But I had to kind of get out of my head with that and then just kind of be present and, and, and try to make relationships as much about the other person as possible. Um, because I feel like the more I was in my own head, the more I was kind of sabotaging the opportunity to have an authentic connection. You know, on your reading list, there were some great reads that you had published. And I, I highly recommend plenty of them, you know, from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People to Others. Mm. Your your book list. If you can only keep one, which one is it? Uh, gosh, I don't know, man. There's <laughs> there's just too many. We're there's, all about tough questions here. <laughs> that that's probably the hardest question you've asked. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you this: you asked that to the wrong person because my wife and I have a dream someday of putting up uh, bookshelves on you know, literally every wall mm. of the room of a house and, and just having it wall to wall. Like one of those, like you need a ladder to get to the top, just uh, the wall completely covered with books. So we both love to read. And so I don't know that I can really answer one, but uh, I would have to say that, that um, I'll say this. Well, right now I'm reading this book called Enlightenment Now, which mm. is phenomenal by Stephen Pinker, Stephen Pinker, which talks about, Hey, you know, I, it's it's a stressful world out there. The media can report a lot of negative things, but things have gotten so much better in the grand scope over the last 200 years that we just can't even fathom. And it's it's a it's really kind of an uplifting read. Um, but I would say that I think the three books that I that have probably like changed my life more than any other would be Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey, and uh, Twelve Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Uh, I, I think they're all phenomenal, and and they've they've helped me in my relationships, in in bringing encouragement to me in areas where I'm very easily discouraged, and and helping me you know try to put my head down and be as productive as possible uh, when when times do get discouraging. So. Music and also a significant other can certainly help. First off on the ladder, what has Selena, your wife, meant to you in life? Oh, I mean, how could you possibly describe, right? I mean, um, I, I think we all, we all really crave somebody who's kind of on your, on your team, on your side, no matter what. And life is hard. And, and so we all, we all need an advocate. And, and she's been that. And, um, I think that 
in a lot of ways, um, helped me realize some negative things about myself that I never would have seen otherwise and, and things I need to grow out of. And also, um, has, has been my biggest support, you know, so there's, there's no way to quantify or describe, um, you know, what, what having her in my life means. It's just, um, yeah, it's, 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 you, you don't realize it until you start to enter that relationship and, and that marriage bond. You, you start to realize why family has to come first. And it's because it's just, uh, it's that important. When's the last time you had an incredible moment with the guitar? <sighs> it's been too long. Mm. Uh, once I moved here and got in this job and, and got married and everything, I think, um, it, it was one of those things that just there wasn't enough time in life to, to continue that habit the way that I really liked. But probably one of my favorite moments would have to be there's a there's a great singer songwriter out there named Jared Mahone, which you should totally look him up. He's yeah. phenomenal. He's from Ohio. Uh, Jared Mahone is an outstanding guy. And um, he 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 was willing to to do an in the round show with me and so it was the two of us on the stage together just trading original songs back and forth and that was a thrill for me because jared's like one of those guys that i think the world of i look up to him and uh sharing a stage with jared was was a real thrill lastly what has living in seattle meant to you and selena uh it's it's meant uh self-discovery and new levels of, you know, it's a huge transition for both of us. I was coming from the East Coast, and she was coming from Southern California. And um, it has it has been uh, a leap of faith for us that uh, let's see what this far-off foreign land has to offer. And so far, what it's had to offer is, you know, great community, uh, new friends that we're, we're so blessed to have made, um, a dream job, and... Um, and, and some of the most amazing beauty that we've ever seen. You know, we, we, we're real big fans of going to Rainier and, and hiking and doing that sort of stuff. So uh, it's, it's awesome. I echo the exact same thing. And uh, we could go on for, and on and on and on, but I can't appreciate enough of your transparency, your warmth, your set of pipes. And I know a lot of Husky fans can't wait to hear you back behind the mic once we're finally able to get back to this. Tony, thank you very much again for joining us here, my friend. All right. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you. All right, Tony, thank you. He's still a busy guy these days now jumping into another call. So you can't thank him enough for the time he shared to open up. As we wait for the right time to enjoy all sports again, his voice will be welcomed. His energy will be welcomed. His warmth will be welcomed. We've certainly got to hear over the course of about 40 minutes. Again, Tony Castro-Cohen worked up to this milestone. A dream job as radio voice of the Washington Huskies. Never stops preparing for a game, and he's made plenty of relationships to make an impact in this play call and storytelling. You can find him on Twitter at Castro-Cohen. More original insights and moments at TonyCastroCone.com. The Huskies, by the way, on the web at GoHuskies.com. Once again, you can find us Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on demand for an up-close experience with your favorite sports voices. Catch you soon. This is Voices Up Close. I'm Mike Benson. Talk soon, friends.